welcome to Positive Talk with Kevin McDonald. Hey, that's me. Hi, and welcome to Positive Talk. Our show features the best positive stories and people from around the globe as we endeavor to answer the universal question of why am I here and what is my purpose? Understanding that can change everything and knowing your greatness is fundamental to living your best life. So join us right now as together we work to create the adventure of our lifetime. And welcome to Positive Talk, everybody. My name is Kevin McDonald, and I'm glad you're here. We've got a great show for you today, and it's a local guy, so I'm hopeful that his family, friends, uh, clients, and, and readers, and, and folks that have been part of his, his reimagining life and uh, continuing to move forward are listening in today, And uh, but first, before I introduce uh, Mr. Doug Wheeler, I need to talk to my friend uh, Nathan real quick and say hello, Nathan. Hey there, Kevin. Good to see you and nice. hear you. It's <laughs> how do I sound? Oh, you sound great, Kevin. Nice having your voice here on the air. It it is indeed, and I want to <laughs> quit sucking up, dude. Uh, <laughs> but I wanted to say thank you and uh, thank you, Nathan, for all that you do. This is our last show that we're going to be doing at noon on KKNW for a little while. We're taking a bit of a break. and But if you are somebody that is that likes what we do and, and enjoys positive talk, there's a myriad of ways that you can still reach out to us. We're on YouTube at uh, Positive Talk Radio. We're on all the platforms and all the podcast platforms. And, and we're now on Brushwood Media Network. Uh, five days a week, and uh, we're just all over the place. And uh, sometimes you just run out of time to do everything. But I wanted to personally thank Nathan. He, I've been working with him for the last four years or so, including my time with Martha Norwalk. And hi, Martha. I hope you're doing well. And uh, I'll and pass that along to her. I, I well, I'm sure she's listening. She listens all the time. <laughs> and uh, but I've enjoyed my time here with you and you are in the utmost professional uh even if you are six six or whatever you are i'm five foot uh 18 <laughs> well i'm five foot <laughs> eight at least i was now i'm a little bit less than that but uh um no it's been great fun and uh we have a guest today that i've been looking forward to talking to for a while. First of all, is there anything that you'd like to say before I, we go into our interview for today? I have not much uh, to say. I mean, it's been a pleasure working with your show, and I'm always happy to come here and know that Kevin McDonald's going to be live, and we're going to have fantastic guests, and you really just know how to keep a conversation going. Uh, don't really have to worry too much at all whenever you're doing a show, because you can just get it going and keep it going. That's the that's the rule. That's what I try and do. But you know, I've been doing this a while. I started in, in, with KKNW in two thousand and three, so I figured I've done over two thousand interviews uh, on the air with in various formats and various styles and stuff. And I really have enjoyed my time here. So, so and this isn't necessarily the end. We're just going to take a little hiatus for a little bit. And I'm looking forward to that day when I get a little email in my email inbox saying that Positive Talk Radio is back on the air. 
Yes, indeed. Well, we, we are not going off the air. We're just kind of repackaging what we're doing, which is part of life and is part of the grand adventure that we all have. As a matter of fact, our guest today, he's a local man. He's got a practice on the east side. And uh, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about him, the book that he's written, as well as his journey as he negotiates through life. His name is uh, Doug Wheeler, and uh, I'd like to bring Doug onto the show. Doug, it is such a pleasure to have someone local here. How are you? Thank you. I'm good today, Kevin. Uh, we said the lighting, and Nathan informed me that I might want to turn my flashlight on my iPhone, but it doesn't seem to help. So I can say that I'm a little bit in the dark. There's not good lighting in my room, but my deeds aren't dark. No. My and deeds are not dark. That, that's right. And you, you are a uh, remarkable young man. You've been a uh, psychotherapist for 35 years. That's a whole career all by itself. It's, a, it's been a long, been a long journey. And uh, we're going to talk, I want to talk about your, your current practice sure. and how it's evolved over time. But I, I just want to, um, and also the book that you've written, which is called Reimagining Jonah, A Flight freedom and that came out in november uh you may or may not have any numbers on it yet but how's it doing any idea i think it's doing well we've had good feedback had some really good reviews um uh, from what i can find out amazon doesn't release the date on sales uh it's usually right. up to about 90 days and i don't even get it from the publisher uh, you can also buy the book from the publisher but you know, there, it, it, it's ended up in a lot of people's hands, and the feedback has been really, really positive. And I haven't paid anybody to give me five stars. <laughs> well, good. Yeah. <laughs> it's expensive. Can people yeah, it? get expensive? Yeah. So I wanted to talk to you uh, primarily about you. You had kind of a, um, and we all, I, I believe, and I'd love your opinion on this. Mm -hmm. I believe, and I say in my opening, that we all go through a period of time when we ask the question, why am I really here? And what am I really supposed to be doing? And what is, what is the purpose of all of this stuff? People tell me what it's all about, but I need to find out for myself what it's all about. And I, I think that you went through that period sometime in the, in the teens, maybe two, in 16. Tell us about your journey about that. Well, that's interesting, Kevin. I um, It was when I was, uh, let's say, between 15 and 18. Uh, it was a very, very challenging time for me for a host of reasons. Uh, as we all are trauma survivors, I'm a trauma survivor. And um, yeah, things fell apart for me, let's say my junior year in high school. And uh, I had a very dark slide and slid pretty, pretty deep down. It was estranged from both of my parents and my brother um, for a period of time. I lived in a different city. I grew up in Elizabethtown, Kentucky, which I used to refer to as a small town in Kentucky. It's about 30 miles south, right on I-65 from Louisville, or they say Louisville. Um, yeah. And by the way, uh, my mother grew up uh, on the south side of Chicago, and she was a city girl. So um, we were, uh, let's say we were Yankees that came into um, the South. And so we were imported into the South in 1964. So 
I learned to say Louisville in school, but we were not allowed to pronounce that at the dinner table. So we were always corrected with, would you like to try that again? Uh, that's Louisville. So I can say them both. But anyways, I lived in a different city than Elizabethtown. And um, I had a spiritual experience. Uh, there's different language for it. Back then, uh, somebody told me uh, that I'd been born again, and then I was a born-again Christian. And, and, I mean, I had a Jesus Christ experience that I'm still, I really am still trying to understand all that, that, that happened to me at that time, but it drastically changed my life. And so I, I really did, in somewhat of a very swift period of time, I went from dark to light. Um, and I, I was able to, again, feel hope. Um, I had a lot of energy as a young kid and I was very imaginative and I was very optimistic. But yeah, those were three years of um, some loss, but a, but, a, but a real darkness inside of me. So that began a journey that I, I've had some bottoms out or bottoming out during my, let's say, late adolescence and, and into early adulthood. Um, there's been some cycling that's going on in that. And I, I think that that we need to normalize that for most of us, that if it's not a severe mental illness issue, um, which mine was not, um, but we cycle in and out of, 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 we can cycle in and out of light and dark. And so uh, what birthed the book that we'll be talking about is uh, another bottom out for me uh, in 2016. And uh, this was the worst I'd ever been through. And we, we can talk about what that is. And, but anyways, that that's kind of the nutshell of my childhood. But there's there's a lot of things that I've, I'm not addressing that went on during that time. I believe that, and and really it's more of a knowing, is that our life is full of experiences. And some of them are good. Some of them are not good. But they're all designed to bring us forward to where we are today. If you look at it from a positive aspect, which I mm -hmm. have a tendency to do, because I do have a show called Positive Talk Radio. Yes, you do. <laughs> and uh, That's better than negative talk radio. I don't think that would go over well. No, that's all on Fox News. I, I'm sorry. I didn't say that. Uh, oh, no, I invite you to say that. <laughs> please, please, carry on. <laughs> and, uh, and so the idea that we experience all of life and you had a spiritual experience when you were very young mm -hmm. and that helped you through some of the darkest periods and gave you gave you some light and, and so forth and it's but it is something that we all grapple with mm -hmm. and it depends on how you look at it i think will depend upon the success you have getting through it because if you believe that everything is there for a reason and that it is there to take you to where you were meant to be so that you can live the life that you want to live and can live that it can be it can be construed as boy that really sucked but i learned something from it rather than life is just terrible do you kind of agree with any of that oh i would say uh, for, for the most part i agree with all of that kevin now the one thing is you're talking the one thing that i'm thinking about is um I think that in some ways that can go, and I'm not saying you're doing this, it can go too extreme uh, that you can always get something good out of what happens to you. 
And I think that at times that can minimize the impact of trauma. I wouldn't disagree that there are good things to get. For example, the death of my brother, and we can talk about that. Um, it was very difficult. The, the day I, I was aware, and it was during the early writing of my book, um, that I saw valuable things that came out of my brother's death. But I really had some significant cognitive dissonance around, does that mean, and this was just all kind of in my inner work, but I think this binary thinking can be very, very common. I felt quite ashamed of how can I get something good out of so, such such tragedy? So I had to really think that through and really process that. So I would agree with you that there are good things to get, but I sure wish, of course, that it never happened. And I know a lot of trauma in a lot of people's lives, and I want to believe that they would be able to have gotten where they needed to get without less suffering if it hadn't happened to them. But still, it does create resilience. I mean, I'm thinking about your authentic grit. You know, the first time we talked about doing this, I told you that I did some research on you. And I really like that acronym that you set up. I've got it actually pasted on the wall here just as something to remember. Authentic grit. G and Kevin came up with this, and I really like it. G is for gratitude. R is for resilient. I is for indomitable spirit. And T is for tough. And I was reflecting on that this morning and I thought, you know, um, where I go this morning, not because I've had a bad day or a bad week, because I haven't, but uh, tough stood out to me this morning, kind of in a meditative time that I have every morning. And uh, I learned doing some men's ritual work when I did some work out in the desert with a group of guys. And uh, the first thing that we were asked to embrace was life is difficult. Um, and in one sense, you could say at times life sucks, but life is life is hard. And I remember I, I didn't want to accept that as the first tenant coming into the work that we were doing. Life is hard. But, you know, the older I get, I'll be 65 in March. Uh, life is difficult. And usually when I say that, somebody will say, yeah, but isn't it good? And my thoughts, oh, I'm not saying it's not good, but it is really difficult and hard. Not at every moment. But, yeah, I agree with your statement and I love the Authentic Grid acronym. Well, th thank you, and that that just came to me one day, and well, mm -hmm. as as often things do. Yes, they and, do. And it really is an important aspect. Now, to be to be fair, I I have said in the past, and I've said on the show that I had uh, what I would call a bad country music song period, where mm -hmm. I went through a a bunch of stuff. My dad died. My dog died. My wife left. My I lost my house. Mm -hmm. Uh, everything everything changed for me uh, but for me it was and oh and it's dude, while that was all happening it was not pleasant and it <laughs> I was sure. in a very dark place yeah and uh, but when you as I came out the other side of it and then I drove a bus for 12 years and 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 really stabilized my life mm -hmm. things things we what I found is that things as we continue on they tend to balance out a little bit okay. and and even even and i will tell you every um i've talked to neil donald walsh i've talked to uh gary zukoff i've talked to um dr michael newton i've talked to a bunch of authors some really interesting and well-read and and well uh, disciplined people and they'll all tell you life is hard mm -hmm. this is a hard place it's dense there's a lot of negativity, hate, division, mm -hmm. and fear. 
Mm-hmm. There's a lot of that kind of stuff that we have to negotiate through. And sometimes it's hard to negotiate through unless you have a team around you or somebody that can really support you. And I know that's what you're doing with your work as well. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. And the seven year stretch of, uh, it's been seven years. It was seven years in December, uh, since my brother's death and just for the audience to know, and I can speak about this now, uh, my, my brother died by suicide and, um, sorry. Yeah, I took, thank you. Uh, it took two years to even pronounce that word. Um, I'm a therapist by trade and I believe in processing grief, but I've also learned that some things are are premature to even address. And so I went inward and the only therapy, and I've done a lot of therapy throughout the years of where I'm on the couch or I'm on the chair. Um, And the first year I saw a a massage therapist that did acupuncture. And that's the the only way I could attend to my grief was that I surrendered my body, if you will, to her every week, sometimes twice a week. Didn't say a word. We'd already been kind of working together for a while. And she said, I, I t- I'll talk to my clients or patients if you would like to talk. And, and this was before my brother's death. And I said, you know, I, I really like quietness. So do your work, do the acupuncture, do the work. Do the, and it was, she said to me, just to let you know, the kind of massage. It wasn't the kind that you maybe typically would get on this. This sounds a a little maybe uh, disrespectful, but I imagine some that uh, it's more of a tickle and more of a soothe uh, than it is a hard massage. She said to me after the first time, you'll be my um, pin cushion and my punching bag. So she, she stuck me with a lot of needles and she worked on me hard. But, you know, I just as I would lay on that table, I had no words for my grief. Um it's been proven those nine stages or eight stages of grief that one goes through. Those were never set out. And I've totally, I, I've spaced on the author. It's that seminal work she did. We all know uh, Kubler-Roth. Yes. We all, we, okay. Yeah. Um, she never meant, if you do some research on that, she never meant those to be stages that you go through the first stage and then you go to wherever anger is in the lineup and whatever. She never meant those to be consecutive stages. She said in her work, You'll be all over the map. I mean, within within five minutes, you could channel through three of these and not in order. But somehow, as we do, somebody packaged it up uh, because, it, uh, to be honest, I think it sells better when you package things. And all of a sudden, it's like, well, you go through stage one and then you go through stage two. And, and I, I knew that was not the case. So I didn't put that on myself. Um, my grief was just literally all over the place. But I'd lay on that table and just and do the inner work with no words. I couldn't speak of my brother's suicide except to the people that knew about it. I could barely say, talk about it to my family. If it had been for my wife, my two sons, um, I don't, I do not know where I would be. I had friends that helped me through that time as well. Um, but my wife and my two sons, they gathered around me. Um, I was broken. I was so, so broken. So suicide's a tough one. I remember speaking to my cousin, um, and, uh, she said, uh, I called her and told her about my brother's death. And she said, well, you know, Doug, I lost, uh, my husband. And I knew this story. She's a little older than me. Um, she said, I, I lost him. He was a Vietnam vet and he took his life back in maybe the eighties or I've forgotten when. And she said, you just became a lifetime member of a club that you'd never wanted to be a member of. 
And uh, that, that she's not the first one that said that. I think that gets kind of passed on, like in the AA model, you pass these slogans on. That That's a slogan. That's a, a you know, statement of to have a family member or loved one or friend or whatever die by suicide. It's um, I, it, it's, its own unique club. So anyways, that that was the second. I had some other tough challenges in my life between those early years I spoke of, but things fell apart for me on the day after Christmas in 2016, because that's when we got the news. And uh, I'd been close to my brother for about six months trying to help him through that stage. And I'm still trying to make sense out of what happened to him. Um, But it, it was terrifying. It was terrifying. I'd like to take a moment if I can, Doug, at this at this point because sure. i think it's really important um if you're feeling down if you're feeling depressed if you're a vietnam veteran if you are a veteran of one of the later wars and you're feeling like you're lost i want to give you a number and i want you to write this number down it's very easy nine or if you know somebody nine eight eight is the number it is a national hotline for mental health and wellness and that you can call that number and if somebody is in if you are in distress you can call that number and if you are a veteran call 988 and then hit the number one what you will be contacted by is a if you're a veteran another veteran who's already been through the war mm-hmm. has already been through the things that you're going through now and I got to tell you, I've had two suicides in my life. One I, one I witnessed, and the other was my brother-in-law. And I tell you, it is life-changing for the people who are still here. Yeah. And it is not. So if, you, if you're feeling that, get the help that you need because your life is important. Yes, it's hard here. Yes, you might think it's easier to go to the other side, but you've got to purpose here you've got a reason for being here so please 988 is the number get the help that you need so that or uh contact doug wheeler and you can do that by going to doug wheeler therapy at gmail.com and he can be a resource for you to help you perhaps through some of these things that you can get through because i witnessed the the suicide that i witnessed his whole family was Mm absolutely completely devastated Mm. um and and i don't think because his he and his wife were having problems and she was having an affair and all you know all the things that go on in life that that told him that his life was meaningless and worthless and that he might as well go and this was the fourth of july and he might as well go out with a bang and so he did Mm -hmm. um and it was something that he did not he did until the moment after he passed he did not realize how many people loved him mm-hmm. and how many people cared and i think that if he had gotten that message earlier that he would not have done that he would have sought help mm-hmm. but but you know you know how difficult that is for the family and for other people and you're still 7 years later are grappling with even the concept of what he would be thinking and how that well said. Well said, Kevin. Well said. Thank you. 
So, so go to that number, 988, and uh, you can get the help that you need. And that's one of the things that we, that we like to do here. But, but you are, and we're going to talk about your book in the second half of the show, because you, you really are a shining star. And I know that you've had, you, we've all had our ups and downs, but you are, you are one of the ones that is continuing the journey and you're working to make it better for yourself and the people around you. It says even in your, uh, um, in your bio, it says you, you're working to make better ways of helping others through your practice, your art, by the way, your art is beautiful. Go to his website, which is city or no self city, God.com. And he's got, he's got artwork. He's got the book and, uh, and he also works to engage the world in a better way than he was able to yesterday, every day. And do you make it every day? No, that's that's why they call it life. Yeah, I think. So I really appreciate that that you are the man that you are and doing what you're doing, and um, and I really appreciate that. But now. Let's talk about reimagining Jonah, the flight to freedom. What Love made to. you write the book? Love to. Let's start with, and it starts in the introduction of the book. So in 2000, July of 2016, a dear friend of mine asked me to come and speak at his church on the east side. Um, as I spoke about that Christian conversion that I had at age 18, um, I had spent a lot of time in church, a lot of different churches. I was involved in a student ministry at, in college. So uh, those were spaces that I knew very well. And my spiritual formation had occurred in those spaces. And uh, in 2016, I was still attending church. I no longer attend church. And I'm, and I'm fine to talk about that and, and even give some uh, understanding of why that is. And there's many of us who have just left those organized spaces. Um, and we kind of refer to ourselves as wanderers, right? But it's not a negative wandering. It's There's a freedom in the wandering, but you've been able to let go of all those constraints of what you're supposed to be and what you're not supposed to be and all of that. But anyways, my friend asked me to come and speak at his church. And my fr- I like to talk and I like to give those kind of presentations. And I was honored by the request. So I said, Scott, I'd love to do that. And then I realized after we clicked off that I... It had been a while since I read the Bible. I knew this church would honor the fact or would want me to speak from some scriptural text. I had no interest in the Bible at the time. And I had done a lot of years of a lot of study of the Bible. And um, so I thought, what am I going to speak on? I don't even have a topic, but I better come up with something because it's in two weeks. And just popped in my mind, kind of like you said, the maybe the authentic grit popped in your mind. It popped in my mind. Um how about the book of Jonah? And I don't know why. I, I, well, one of the reasons it was it was so short. I thought, well, I, I can study that one pretty quickly because I like to do a little background work. Anyways, I read the book and I couldn't stop reading it. I just could not put the story down. And I can't really totally explain. I couldn't explain it then. I could explain it some now, but don't need to. I was just so taken with this character, Jonah. I've come to find out, Kevin, that I was accessing uh, the Jonah in myself. That's what was really happening. And so in uh, any good story, will read you as much as you read it. And so the story was reading me as much as I was reading it, but I didn't know that. I spoke that morning at church. It was two services. Uh, a young woman on staff came up to me beforehand. She said, 
two things. Number one is my son's name is Jonah. So I'm looking forward to you speaking because I love the name. And she said, I saw the title in the church uh, bulletin. I saw the title of your message. And I can't imagine how you came up with that title. Uh, I was Jonah as guide. Well, I can tell you, if you sat and listened to most people talk uh, about Jonah, nobody refers to Jonah as a guide. They refer to him as somebody who is wayward, resistant, grumpy, negative, uh, not even anxious, just uh, a bad, bad person who ran from God, disobeyed, all of that. So I felt this support for and felt like as I read the book in, 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 the, in, the, in the Bible, I was reading that story and I felt like, you know, Jonah needs a defense lawyer. He needs a defense attorney. <laughs> and I think I'm going to be that. So I just took on this kind of a chip on my shoulder, like I'm going to speak on his behalf. So I spoke that morning in very kind of a generalized way about Jonah is guiding us. And I didn't even fully understand what it was. But as I stayed with it, I just and I'm not a writer by trade. My wife is a true author. My two sons are writers. Um, I like to talk. I would much prefer if you want to get an email from me, I'd much prefer to leave you a voice recording. And those folks that are listening out there probably get tired of my voice recordings. Um, but emails, you know, you have to think about it. And I get into my perfectionism and I'm checking the spelling of things and whatever, and all of that. So you can imagine what it was like for me to write a book. It took a while, but I could not shake this Jonah character. So uh, Jonah, I befriended Jonah. Jonah became um, a client, like I was working with a client, a confidant, a friend. If you saw the book, the book is set up with nine chapters and each chapter begins with Jonah, comma. So I addressed Jonah. The original title was called Emails to Jonah because I tell people, I don't know if I can write a book. I don't even know if the book is really all that good, even though I do believe it really, really is. I've come to say, this is a good book. There's a lot of time put in. It's a very artistic book. It's it's more of a novella. It's 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 a novel, but it's got prose in it. It's an interesting setup. I don't know if it fits any one genre, um, but I'm not a writer by trade, but but I, I, I just needed to put it to words. And so Jonah and I grew together in the process and I and I I would get ahead of myself and get anxious and I would keep saying to my family members, you know, here's the publishing date. I got to get this submitted. And everybody always the consensus was you're rushing, you're rushing, just pull back, you're just you're rushing things. And I think some of that was the anxiety of I'll never get it done. Uh, but I also think I was trying to rush my own grief process. And so the book helped me slow down because I was forced to write. And I will say to anybody out there, you were addressing folks that are in grief, possibly having suicidal ideation. Um, and, and even just in a dark time, even if there's no suicidality going on. In my grief, writing the book became a project that I just needed, not unlike somebody who would do ceramic work or go out into on their workbench and make furniture. I just needed something to work on, uh, I, I guess, to try to get my mind off of what was happening. But I actually, after my brother's suicide, I saw the suicidality in Jonah. And that's when it cinched for me. It was beyond a defense attorney. And that is this individual, not unlike us, this individual needs advocacy and support and he needs somebody to sit with him in his grief so when somebody tells me about a hardship in their life i might have used to ask well what are you learning from that 
Or how are you handling that? It's not my question any longer. My question is, tell me more. Just tell me more. And I'll often say to people, take your time. I can tell people are so rushed. And therapy creates kind of this rush. We got an hour to do the work or a 50-minute hour. And so I've just learned over the years because I've been doing it for so long. It's not rote for me. It's not a script that I read from. But it's actually just take your time. Take your time. And when I see people go into that space where they take their time, somebody's really intentionally listening. People are processing their grief and many times coming up with their own answers of how they're going to make it through it. And then I'll do some intervention work and I'll do some work with that. So I'm really shifting my practice. I only work with men. Um, when I started out in Woodenville, well, I started out in Denver, Colorado, many, many moons ago when we lived there. I had a practice in Woodenville for close to 20 years. Um, but I shifted about 10 years ago, no longer do couples work. Every once in a while, we'll have a, a family member or spouse maybe sit in, but I work with men. And my work is shifting to, I think I'm in the stage where, you know, grief is the focus because there's a lot to, to, there's a lot to grieve and it's a process that's very important because it's akin to development, the thought of development, personal transformational development without attending to grief is a very incomplete picture. And so I get troubled, Kevin, when I, well, by, by the way, I'm not giving you any, I mean, can I just carry on here or do you want me to stop and you know, let you ask or clarify anything? Or you want me to just keep going? I'm, I am, <laughs> I am mesmerized by, by what you're saying, but I would like to interject here. Oh, please. That the, please. That for those of you who may not, now I grew up in the Lutheran church and I went to parochial school for eight years and I went to the Sunday school for, for like, I, I have the most perfect attendance in the Sunday school years and stuff. So I know the story of Jonah and basically the, the story of Jonah is that he gets swallowed by a whale and he spends three days in the belly of the whale and then he... Um, has a, a deeply reflective time, and then he is spit up onto the beach by the whale three days later. Yes. Um, and I'm assuming that that is all a metaphor for something or another. Yes. And, you know, yeah. but, but at the same, so that, that is the basic Thank story. Thank you. That, that helps to create that foundation. Thank you. I always assume, and it's not a good assumption, that people know the story. But And I say in my, I think I say in the introduction of my book, uh, you know, go read the original story. But yes, he is vomited out of the fish's mouth. And then I pick it up from there. And I have nine chapters in my book. So uh, I take the story of Jonah. I reformatted it. I reimagined it. When I was a young kid, I can remember the very day my mother asked me. I think I was six years old. And she said, who are you talking to? And I said, I'm talking to John Mark. And she said, who in the world is John Mark? And I said, Oh, he's my imaginary friend. He flies around in an airplane. Now, why? I mean, I don't. I really, I'm not. I, I don't. I mean, getting on an airplane is fine, but I was not enthralled or with airplanes. But he flew around in my head, if you will, and I would talk to John Mark, and I had a relationship with him. And there was a time where, and I don't remember, but it just faded. But I remembered that probably ten years ago, before I even started writing the book. So I imagined Jonah that way. And I just let my imagination roll. And if you read the intro to the book, I'm not, I don't, I'm not a theologian by trade, even though I've studied theology and I care about 
because it basically is the spiritual and religious thinking. And I care about that as something foundational. I'm not a linguistic, uh, but I'm not an expert in linguistics. Um, I'm not a theologian. I'm, I have a PhD, but I don't really consider myself to be a, uh, an Orthodox scholar. Uh, I'm a psychotherapist, but I came at this letting my imagination just light up and go. And I say in the intro, uh, none of this, I'm not claiming that I have any authority about this individual, but I feel like Jonah somehow broke into my reality and alongside of what I was going through. And so, as I said earlier, we, we grew together. And um, so that was the beginning of Jonah. There's a lot to say about how difficult it was to write a book. People are asking me, are you working on your second book? And my thought was, I'm still trying to recover from writing the first one. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I'll tell you, um, writing, I have never I've tried writing a book. I can't write. Okay. I can't say that I can't because I'm, it's not over yet. I might at mm. one point in time. Um, but the major thing is, is that it is a process. And I, I believe that in a lot of cases, in a lot of ways, Jonah was brought to you because they wanted, someone wanted a different imagining of that story because I think it's been misinterpreted yeah. in, in many ways by a lot of folks. And yeah. that's a great way to say it, Kevin. So I, I think that that's what you that's what you were doing. But sometimes it takes a while to recover from that process. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I, I, I say this in the book that uh, and I and I, this, I took this on early in the writing that I was experiencing Jonah as person before prophet. And so what that gets to me is, is that before you speak about somebody's credential and we as men often I do it all the time. Hey, what do you do? What do you do for a living? There's nothing wrong with the question. Um, but many times it, it kind of masks that uh, possibly a discomfort around the intimacy of who are you and where do you come from? And so I'm trying to shift rather than saying, hey, Kevin, what do you do for a living? I care about work. I grew up with parents that came out of the Great Depression. And so it was really, really you know, just infused into my genes and my DNA about work and, and having a work ethic. Anybody who knows me, I have a deep, deep appreciation for work. I love to see people. I don't care what they do. I watched somebody fix my sewer recently, and I love to watch the young man dig the hole. And I said, I said to Jesson, Jesson, how long have you been digging holes? And he goes, oh, Doug, I've dug so many of these. They dug 11 feet down to get a broken pipe. But to watch him dig that hole because he was experienced, he knew how to shore up the walls, it was a beautiful thing to watch. I've always loved to watch people work. And so... I don't know if anybody would have loved to watch me work as I, as I was trying to write this book because it was really a difficult process. I think there are people that are born to write. Um, I think you still have to work against the resistance and all of those things. I was not born to write. Uh, th this, this could be uh, my last book. I don't know, and I'm not going to make any statements. I say that that's to me, I'm saying. I'm not going to make any pejorative statements. Um, there are some things that I want to pick up, some themes that the book touches. It's a short book. It's a very creative, almost poetic work. And there's some fundamental things about politics. There's some fundamental things about the abuse of power. There's some fundamental things about this definition of what men are and what men are supposed to be and what women are supposed to be. It's got a Jungian twist to it. 
you know, the Jungian mindset around male and female is not to say, well, men are this way and women are this way. What Jung did, and this is one of the things that split him from Freud, Jung addressed the archetypes of anima and animus. And anima is the feminine soul or energy. And animus is the male energy. And so what he said was there's a sexuality. You and I are born and we're identified. Things are changing a lot in this space. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to stay up with understanding what's happening within gender. But things are becoming much more fluid. Um, and I won't speak to that because I'm not an authority in that space. But this idea of I was a boy and I was to think like a boy and act like a boy and all of that. And what what uh, Jung said was there's a contra sexuality. If your sexuality is predominantly male, there's a contra sexuality. Now, some of this doesn't play well in the, in the environment we're in now. So Jung has to be translated now to be more applicable to what's going on. But there's a feminine energy within men, and that's the anima within a man. And there's masculine energy within a woman, and that's the animus within her. So I like to approach. And so I worked in, the reason I speak to that is I worked in some of those Jungian concepts to what was going on with, uh, with um, Jonah. That Jonah had been prototyped to be the male of what male looked like in his tribe. And I just imagined that, and I used my own story and the things that had been placed upon me. My brother was much more of a typical male than I was. Um, I was much more sensitive and more emotionally attuned. I don't know how that came to be. Uh, I was born with an illness and almost died. It was very close to my mother and grandmother. Um, and it was tough because my those two female very prof you know those are two very profound females in a young boy's life and they they really really uh, took me on i was not close with my father my my father was a world war ii vet he was not emotionally available to anybody he was a good good man things changed for him in the last year of his life and that was a spiritual conversion for our relationship that's a whole nother topic uh, but back to uh, my grandma and my mother took to me and did not take to my brother. Um, mm -hmm. And I believe it was part of, of my brother's uh, pain. I know it was. He didn't speak about it. I don't know how aware he was of it. Uh, I think there was a, a depression there throughout his life of feeling the rejection. I'm on the side of I was chosen. And I get into that in Jonah because it's not always easy to be the chosen one. There can be a guilt and shame that comes. And also, Kevin, you would be able to apply this, I'm sure, too. When you are a suicide survivor, which I am, meaning I had some suicidal ideation myself, but I survived my brother's suicide. But yeah. I, I've, I've had that, that guilt complex, that survivor guilt complex of how in the world have I made it? And my own brother who came from the same womb, I mean, what, what's going on here? But my wife will sit me down at times and say, let's talk about the choices that the Dick made. Let's talk about the opportunities that the Dick had, that he could have gone a different direction with his life. My brother was a profound executive in the healthcare industry. Um, I love this statement. His statement, the mantra among his teams, he worked for five or six different big players in the healthcare space. 
and he, he, he held some big positions. And his mantra was, go sell something. Ah. Go, go sell something. And I used to say just, that all the time. Yeah, and I love it. You know, I love that. He just, go sell something. He would get right down to it. So back to my book, I work in Jungian, some Jungian concepts. There's a lot there. What I envision in however much more working years that I have is to continue to serve men in their grief. Um, I'm not sure how to continue to do that as uh, am I just going to continue to be a psychotherapist or am I going to, this book has kind of opened me to some other parts of me, uh, the artist in me, um, which has been very life-giving. And I do want to give credit where credit is due. You spoke of the beautiful artwork. Um, none of that is original from me. I got a great story around that, but that'll take five minutes to tell. But that's, that's a childhood friend that I discovered three years ago. And, and Beth and I reunited over Facebook and I saw some of her artwork. She's probably listening in now. Uh, she's just a beautiful, beautiful soul. Hi, with Beth. The, hi, Beth. With a, I, I told her, call in today because Kevin will want to hear your Southern accent. 425-373-5527. You would not be able to mimic how beautiful it is. She now lives in Atlanta. But anyways... Uh, she took on all the artwork. So we have nine uh, black and white sketches that she did that open it, that one for each chapter of the nine chapters. And then she did the artwork cover, which is unbelievable. It's right in front of me here. It's, it's the most beautiful. It was, I think it was oil. It took so long for it to dry before we could even get it to print. So it kind of slowed the process. I had so many things, Kevin, to slow the process down. And what I've taken from that is I've rushed my entire life. I really have rushed my life and I'm trying to slow down and I'm trying to trust. And I think you're a man that, that maybe has learned much more of this than I have to trust that things are going to continue to materialize. Things are going to continue. Ways will open. Parker Palmer says when way closes, way will open. When a door closes behind you, if you're spiritually attuned, you might be able to see a door open in front of you. And so I'm trying to deepen those practices in my own life. Boy, Doug, I tell you, you have said a lot. You, I know. <laughs> and, 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 and a lot of it is very, very meaningful. And I want, I want to just clarify a couple things in my Please. own mind. And one, one would be that um, I know that you – you um, were a um, um, born-again Christian when you were a kid, mm -hmm. and then you went through and you learned about the Bible, and you and as I did, mm -hmm. came a point in my life when it became like there has to be more. Mm -hmm. I, there, I don't, I don't get enough fullness out of what this is, mm -hmm. um, and I want to understand more about things like meditation and, mm -hmm. and mindfulness and taking care of each other and, and doing, even though the Bible says that at times, they killed a lot of people too. Um, so, you know. Uh, yes, it did. Uh, genocide, <laughs> genocide is clearly in the Old Testament. And not only is it there, but it's actually, um, uh, let's see, I'll tell you this. A friend of mine said recently, he said, wow, you know, isn't the Bible so honest, especially in the Old Testament story? It's like, uh, be it who, however God exists, 
that somehow God wanted, we'll just use God, somehow God wanted us to know that genocide was accepted and celebrated. And that's deeply problematic. So it's interesting, when, it's interesting when you begin to see the Bible as it's, it's telling on itself. And that's what I began to see about Jonah. It's like, there's something here. It's telling on itself about Jonah because Jonah, the, the, the most problematic character, Kevin, in the story, and there's not many characters in the story. The, pro, the most problematic character is the God in the story. And I set out to say, I can't deconstruct God. I don't even know really how to define God. I used to have clear definitions, but I'm going to work to deconstruct the God in the story. I'm going to set out. I mean, I, I do have the courage to do that. Whatever. I still have fear inside of me that was instilled inside of me in, in, in Christian circles about a God who will punish at some point if life is not being lived according to that God's terms. And, you know, I've worked really hard to get that out of my system. So Jonah helped me do that because I advocated for Jonah in the face of a God who really mistreated Jonah. So what I do with the, the fish, and actually in Hebrew, it's a she-fish. Well, it's a female fish, and I named her she-fish. I'm very proud of that name. A friend of mine the other day asked me, how did you name her? And I said, it just dropped in my mind. I said, Allison, it just dropped in my mind. She-fish. She is the most representative divine character in my story, and I think in the original story. She swallows Jonah, and then she rebirths him. And I do a little different thing that happens in her womb. So anyways, yeah, I could talk a lot about that, but that's that's my story. Well, you need to go get the book, which is uh, called Reimagining Jonah, A Flight to Freedom. And the author is uh, Doug Wheeler. Go to Doug Wheeler Therapy at gmail.com, and you can talk to him directly, or you can go to selfcitygod.com and find out all about him, his work, the art that he does, all of those things. It's really important. And I just wanted to say this real quick about the energy, because I think Young had it exactly right. We all are energetic beings in a physical body. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the, um, the makeup of each person's energy is different. We have different, I've been told I have a lot of feminine energy mm -hmm. um, and also a lot of masculine energy because you make me mad and, the man comes out in me, but uh, um, there are some folks that are much more of a male-dominated energy personality, Very true. and um, some that are more female-dominated personality. And so, I think partially that's where this this era that we're now in of not understanding the male and female and who you are and who you really feel like inside. And I think there's a lot to be said about the energetic makeup of each individual. What do you think about that concept? Oh, I think that's beautiful. And I think that that when what you just presented allows for a different way to approach even gender. It's a way yeah. to, without saying it's this way or that way, that binary thinking, it's, it's saying there's these energetic sources within us about that inner life. Absolutely. I think you, I think you did a great job. You've done a great job of, of being able to condense, uh, my bountiful mind and the things that I speak of. So you and I need to work together. I need to spit out there what I'm thinking about. And you need to say, I think I could condense that down into about three sentences. And I'm like, 
All right, Kevin, let's do that. Hey, I'd like to ask you, so uh, would it be helpful for the listening audience to know anything more about the short sabbatical that you're taking? Um, um, well, let me, let me just explain. I am doing this. I'm, I'm a little bit older than you. Okay. I, I'm, I'm 66 now. Right on. And uh, I am, I have always wanted, I've always wanted to be able to go back in 2003. Let me just preface in 2003. I did the show two hours a day, five days a week. And I loved every moment of it. It was successful. People liked it. And I've always wanted to go back to being able to do that, to do it now on this format is very expensive and I can't Ooh. financially afford to do that. But I can go to a digital uh, radio station, which is called Brushwood Media Network. And I have a show now that is Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern. And I get to talk to like you're going to be on the show in two weeks, by the way. You didn't know that. I am. <laughs> Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm, oh, I'm okay. Taking, I'm, <laughs> I'm taking I'm videos and repurposing them okay. to go on that network. And so you you will be there. And uh, and I also do the podcast and I do a bunch of other stuff. But I need to be able to make it financially feasible at this point in my career. I, I've spent a lot of money trying to do that. And I've got to focus. I'm and, with you. And you said the you said the most important word in the in my opinion in the English language, Doug. And you said trust. Mm. I trust in the decisions that I that are placed in front of me that mm. they're the right decisions to make if mm. I feel good about them, and they come to me in the right way. Mm. And this this has come to me in in the right way, I believe. And and so That's it's good. just it's not a fallback. It's a continuation of the of the adventure of a lifetime. And that's, that's what I call it. That's great, Kevin. I'm sure people are just really happy to know that you're not rolling things up. You're actually no. just, uh, uh, if I can cop the word, you're actually just reimagining, you know, your your work, your career, right? That's exactly right. That's, and, and the fact of the matter is, just like you, I can't quit. Mm. I'm not allowed. I, <laughs> I, I, my parents were, were mm. also uh, from, the, uh, um, from the Depression. Mm-hmm. And I'm not allowed to quit. And I have, mm. I do five or six or seven shows a week. People think right I'm on. not. Right but on. I love yeah, every moment of it. I my love. Father. Oh, go ahead. Go. Sorry. Well, no, I was just going to say, I, and I love talking to you. We've got about uh, 30, 40 seconds left. So I want you to wrap it up mm -hmm. and to tell our audience anything that you'd like them to know. Oh, I think what I'd like to say is uh, that um, essentially my book, uh, The Reimagining Jonah, is. Um, it's actually freeing Jonah from a story that he's been locked inside of. And so I think that we can easily get locked inside of a narrative of who we are and who we're not. Um, and it takes hard work. Uh, I will quote um, the great uh, John O'Donohue, the Celtic uh, mystic poet that died unexpectedly a few years ago. Uh, he says about growth, it is difficult and slow to become new. And, and, you know, those are hard words. They're true. And I think they're good words because then we can slow down. We're in such a rushed pace. By this, by that, promises all the things you can do. Go to this webinar, seminar, this convention. The reality is it's difficult and slow to become new. That's, that's given me a lot of comfort and hope. Exactly. And by the way, we've been talking with Doug Wheeler. 
Go to selfcitygod.com. Get the book, Reimagining Jonah, A Flight to Freedom. And I want to thank you for being here. I want to thank Nathan and everybody at KKNW for supporting this work. And by the way, be kind to one another because each other's all we've got. 